Welcome to the Write Something Worthy podcast, where we teach emerging authors how to ditch the fear, confusion, and overwhelm of writing a bestseller-worthy non-fiction book. And now, your host, Tonya Brockett. Greetings, worthy tribe. Tanya here, and this week I want to talk to you about the unexpected way that we started this year and the question that it raised. Is being off the grid a writer's dream or a nightmare? Let me put this into proper perspective. For the first week of January, my family office, household, and much of my community and surrounding counties started the year with a snowstorm that took out our power for a week and and longer for some. Add to that the weight of the snow brought down so many trees and large limbs, geez, across roadways, on houses, over cars, throughout yards, and and more. It is a mess. I live in a, and work in a heavily forested area, so our trees are, you know, 7,500 feet tall, and they're prolific. So the area with weighted down by snow looked like a disaster zone in some places. Many of the pine trees in particular could not withstand the weight of the snow. They either uprooted and just tipped over, broke in half, literally, it's amazing, or dropped their branches from several stories up such that those branches, those really big branches, came and stabbed into the ground looking like a whole new tree. Or either those branches would just fall and pile up on the ground below. If anyone saw my Instagram post from uh, early January, you might have seen a picture of a uh, ornamental snowman that we had out, you know, in the snow, looking all cute. Oh, wow, look, it's snowing, and the snowman's still out there decorating the yard. Well, by that afternoon... The snowman had been crushed by the branches of an oak tree. (laughs) It was not a pretty sight, poor thing. So anyway, those branches were falling all over the place. You couldn't spend much time outside because all you heard was the cracking sound of limbs and the thuds and the thumps of tree falls, and you didn't know where the next one was going to come from, right? So you couldn't take the chance of being out there and all of that when any at any time something else was going to break free and fall to the ground. Quite a scary, scary thought. I have to tell you, you know, just hearing the sounds of the crunching and the crashing made me think I was in like a a Jurassic Park movie or something where, you know, dinosaurs are running through the forest and crunching trees under their feet. That's what it felt like with the weight of the snow breaking all the branches. It uh, It was beautiful to look at, but it was scary to be a part of. 
So during this time, the temperatures outside had dropped to the teens on some nights. And let me tell you, without power, the cold inside starts growing as the heat dissipates. So without power, at least for my family, that meant no internet, no heat, no water, no refrigeration for our food, no oven or stove to cook the food before going bad, no way to charge devices or phones, no way to access information or news reports, and basically no reliable forms of communication. Our cell service already sucks here, so an inability to reach cell towers during this time didn't help at all. Hmm. Anybody know of a good uh, cell service provider that can work just about anywhere? Please let me know. So gratefully, um, we did have a portable gas-powered generator that could power the refrigerator, one outlet in the kitchen, run the well pump so that we could have cold water and flush the toilet, and illuminate the master bedroom. We still had no heat, no communications or lights besides one room, no oven, no stove, no hot water. So on the surface, being off the grid can sound like an opportunity for a writer to grab the last few hours of battery life in her laptop and write her client's books. Yippee! No one to bother me. No distraction. And then maybe grab a notebook or start writing longhand when the battery of your laptop dies because there's no power to juice it back up. But I have to tell you, that is not how it worked. Being off the grid was not a writer's dream. It was more like an episode of some survival show, you know, except we weren't lucky enough to get voted off and (laughs) we weren't on a bright, sunny island somewhere. Oh, and because we only had a few gallons of gas to fuel that generator, we had to find a way out of the subdivision so that we could get to a gas station to refuel. So that meant shoveling the driveway, which is no easy task, to get to the road, um, which thankfully had at least been run through with a plow. So that was good. So then getting out into the street, we then had to ensure that all the downed trees had been cut from across the roads leading into town. We had many of them just here in our own neighborhood, let alone out on the main road. Uh, Branches had to be pulled from the roadways. Power lines had fallen and had to be avoided. Their poles, the actual power poles were down. Not just the lines because of trees hanging on them, but the whole daggum pole is on the ground. It was just a mess. It was just an amazing mess. But in addition to working on that generator project, we also had to pull out more wood from the wood piles that my husband had been stacking over time. And boy, mm, were we grateful for all that wood. You know, you're like, oh, he's out there again cutting more wood. Thank 
goodness he was out there cutting that wood because we needed it all. We had to light the wood stove in one room and the fireplace in another to keep some semblance of heat in the house. That meant, however, constantly feeding both fires like feeding a newborn around the clock. And having had three daughters, I remembered how exhausting that constant feeding could be, okay? (laughs) Every time you start a new activity, you have to stop and feed. Each time you finally doze off at night, you have to get up and feed. Every time uh, something else happened, you had to stop and feed. It was exhausting, physically and mentally. I admit that despite our obvious advantages, we still felt like pioneers who had to do most of the work during the daylight hours because the candlelight, you know, is is not great for doing anything that requires intense reading or writing. You know, we scraped up every candle we could find and had to be mindful of where we placed all those so that we didn't create a fire hazard of our own. We placed uh, one in the powder room because it's just pitch black in there when the door is closed. You don't notice these things sometimes when you have power. <laughs> but we had one in the kitchen, the family room, the living room, the hallway, all the places where we spent much of our time together and needed to be able to see our way through. Now, we, you know, we're used to having night lights around in different pathways so that even if you don't have lights on when you're uh, going through the house at night, you can see something, but those night lights don't work when you don't have power. So anyway, all of the candles needed to be in position by nightfall, which fell way too early in the afternoon, way too early. Well, now that I have painted such an incredibly bleak picture, let me share a moment of gratitude. This was a wonderful opportunity to express my gratitude for all that we already had and all that we would discover that we could use and all that we discovered that we could do without during this time. Valuable learning, all of that. And I'm truly grateful for that. So looking outside to the deep, thick, heavy, and wet snow, We eventually saw a few deer back in the yard after most of the danger had passed with the wind and the heavy branches. So seeing those deer nibbling on plants that they couldn't usually reach made me realize how fortunate they were because, you know, all of our bushes had been crushed to the ground and the tree branches were hanging so low that they were at nibble height <laughs> for the deer. Oh, I felt I, I, I felt for the deer having to be out there in that cold, but they didn't look any worse for the wear. They could handle it. 
we're the wimps and we're inside. They're out there toughing it out and just like, hey, yo, what's up? No big deal, right? They were enjoying their newfound yummies out in the yard. I was like, hey, man, wow, I can reach this tree, man. This is really good. And we're sitting in here shivering and watching them. But as I would discover later in the night, in a moment of fright, they also enjoyed laying under our holly trees uh, to hang out in the dark um, in our front yard. So that was interesting. Let me share, though, a few of the lessons learned and the workouts we discovered, workarounds, actually, that we discovered while in survivor mode. <laughs> you may already be an expert at this stuff, depending on where you live, but it was all new learning for me and my family. And it was such a blessing that certain things had been put in place ahead of time that we couldn't have known would be useful at this time. So you got to count your blessings. So it's just one more reason to express gratitude for everything that you have along the way. All right. I'm going to list a few of these things in a bulleted list in the show notes so that you can refer to them if you're ever in a similar situation. Because I have to say, you know, until I went through this myself, there are some things that I just didn't know to expect, didn't know how to manage, etc. Or I didn't know that the creativity existed, that we would come up with some of the things that we did. So first... Fill a pitcher or two of water with drinking water um, when the, your generator is down and your heat is out and your power is gone and everything else. So, you know, though you take so many things for granted, right? You go to your refrigerator to push your cup against the door so that it'll squirt out water for you. But that doesn't work when there's no power. And if you live on a well... It won't work even if there is power unless the well has power to generate the water to bring it to the refrigerator. So remember that. We had no water without our generator. So we needed drinking water when it ran out of gas. I will say, however, that, you know, we have, um, because this community has had issues with power in the past, we also keep a few gallons of potable water in the garage for just such occasions. You never know when you're going to need water from an additional source. So one of the other things about water that you can also do is fill a bucket or two to keep in the bathroom or keep in your tub, right, and and flush the toilet when you need it. If you're going to be in a situation like us where without power you have no water, that can be an important thing. And you can also fill a bowl, you know, a big like mixing bowl or something with water to keep by the sink in case you use any dishes or silverware and you want to rinse them so that the food doesn't dry on them, but you, you know, you can't wash them yet because there's no hot water at the moment. So you just want to be able to remove the debris from them so that when you set them aside, they'll be able to be washed later. Um, And, you know, 
it wasn't an issue. At first you think, well, you know, the power will be on. I'm sure it'll come on in a few hours. We gave them notice that the power was out. I'm sure they'll take care of it. They didn't even start giving um, an idea of a timeline for repair for a while. <laughs> so when we could reach them. So, um, so we didn't realize that we didn't want to be using real dishes. It took us a minute to realize, hey, maybe we should use our paper plates and some compostable utensils instead of the real stuff because the power is not coming back on anytime soon. So anyway, you don't want crusty dishes, so keep a bowl that you can just rinse stuff off with. It's kind of gross, but you know, you're not trying to use it again. You're just trying to get it off so it won't be worse later. Um, admittedly, you know, we didn't want to go figure out how we can, you know, heat a pot of water to wash dishes. That just, we didn't want to add that to our plate. You may do that. And that's obviously uh, another solution. You can get a big pot, dig your way out into the snow to your grill, use that little side burner that your grill may have to heat a big pot of water and then use that. But the reality is, we didn't want to go out there where that grill was. We didn't want any trees falling on our heads. And we didn't feel like trudging through all that snow to get to the grill in the first place, let alone clean it off and everything else. So we weren't trying to do that. <laughs> you, you may want to do it, but we didn't want to do it. Uh, one other thing that we discovered is, you know, I love parchment paper anyway. I love parchment for baking and, and cooking and all of that. But using parchment on your counters when you're prepping or cutting any food uh, when you have no power is great because you can just throw it away and not have to wash a cutting board or anything. Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous uh, creative thought. Um, one other thing that was really great for us during this time was having battery-operated Christmas lights. Now, granted, I might not have known where they were right off the bat if it weren't right after the holidays, right? But I had found, and here's another blessing, right? I had found a bunch of battery-operated Christmas lights that, you know, and I got extra just in case we wanted to put them in different places, in case my daughters wanted to take them to their dorms, all that kind of stuff. So... Those battery-operated lights, and ah, thankfully, I had also bought lots of extra batteries to keep them running. Ha-ha! So I actually had batteries available to light them up. I had heard later, after the storm on the radio, somebody saying, you know, what do you wish you had known before the power went out? And one person had said, I wish I had batteries. Because he said there was nothing worse than having a bunch of flashlights with dead batteries because it was totally useless and it was a dark time. So having those Christmas lights was really, really wonderful. So we could put them, you know, all over the house. We had them on mantles above the wood stove and the fireplace, over the kitchen windows, in the living room, hanging on chandeliers and anywhere that it would add visibility and joy. It sparks joy. And when you're in a survivor mode, you know, joy is a great thing to have. So gratefully, we had those. 
But I have to tell you the greatest discovery. And boy, I would recommend anybody run out and get these. I might have to add a link in the show notes for you to do that. But the greatest discovery was that we had headlamps like those that cavers use, you know, when you're out, they, you, a headband that has a big light on the front of it. Those were a godsend. We had bought a few of the headlamps to hike the Blue Ridge Tunnel a few months ago. So after two days of darkness, it was like, bing, light bulb goes off in the head, right? It's like, hey, we had those headlamps. And they were in the closet. And we didn't have the batteries in them because we had taken them out, you know, not expecting to use the headlamps anytime soon. Well, because I had so many batteries available, plugged those puppies into that headlamp and voila, light. This allowed us to move around freely without tying up our hands with a cell phone flashlight, which the cell phone battery was already... uh, a hot commodity, right? Because you know your battery's going to drain fast. You don't have the power to plug in your phone except for one at a time. And and the one outlet that's run by the generator, right? So um, it was great not to have to use the cell phone for that purpose and not to have to tie up your hands if you wanted to carry in a big load of wood and still see what you were doing while you were out there. So um, that was an absolute godsend. And I have to say, don't tell my husband this, but it was great for me not to have to go out and hold the flashlight while my husband refilled the generator in the middle of the night. The headlamps allowed him to do it by himself because he could just put on the headlamp and he had two hands to hold the gas can and wrangle with the generator and everything. Fabulous! So I was very grateful for that. But let me tell you the one thing that gave me a fright that I thought was kind of funny. I went out to go get more wood. I had my headlamp on. I go out. We had put a bunch of wood up onto the front porch in a rack that we have there so that we didn't have to go out into the woods at night to get more wood. So we did that during the day. This is how you use your daylight. You bring all your wood up so that you don't have to go look for it at night. So I go to fill the uh, to fill the the wood container, and as I'm coming back, I turn around and look out. My headlamp right is really bright, and it can go out um, into the yard. Well, I see this pair of eyes looking at me, and it was the creepiest feeling ever. And then there was another pair of eyes taller than that one that were also staring at me. Totally creep me out. Totally creep me out. So I'm like rushing, you know, get my stuff and get back into the house so I can close the door and lock it behind me. What it was, as I said, was that the deer was sitting out under a holly tree out in the yard and my headlamps only could reflect on their eyes. It didn't show their bodies. And it was just the creepiest thing to see eyes staring at you floating from out in the yard in the pitch darkness. So anyway, um, so that was my thrill for the week. Um, but those headlamps were absolutely fantabulous. They were a godsend. So 
We also use those headlamps in the house where, so we use them just to walk around the house so that we didn't have to worry about whether there was a candle in the right place or what have you. But we also tied one of them onto a camera tripod and set it up by the table that we had also set up, the card table, that we set up in front of the wood stove. So that could be our temporary eating space so that we didn't have to eat in the cold kitchen where there was no heat. We moved a card table in front of the wood stove in the living room, and then we set up the tripod with the headlamp on it there so that one, we could have visibility for eating, but also, we use that same card table for playing games. You got to make the best of it, right? So board games and card games with big numbers <laughs> are good for low light activities that you can do while you're watching a fire. So when it's not your turn, you go and check the other fireplace to make sure that the wood is still burning and that it's still going um, and then come back and play. But I have to advise you, don't play games that take a lot of concentration or that require good visibility or reading fine print. <laughs> keep it big and keep it simple and keep it, you know, uh, short attention span games so that you can focus on keeping the heat going in the fireplaces. We did discover that, you know, all of our candles can produce adequate light uh, for use, and especially in that dark powder room that doesn't have windows. Um, but take a moment to appreciate the ambiance that candles create. You know, when you go out to dinner sometimes and they have a nice candle on the table and the lighting's a little low and, you know, maybe even your, your menus are lighted because the lighting is so low, but the candles on the table give that nice feeling, right? So why not enjoy that at home a little more often? Maybe I will take the opportunity now to do it more often just because. I'm not going to wait for the next power outage, by the way, to have a nice candle at the dinner table. So just want to tell you to keep that in mind sometime. Take time to appreciate the ambiance. But also, if your candles are scented, enjoy the nose too. That's, that's not a bad thing. Now, one thing we certainly discovered is that keeping up with wood fires is exhausting. It's taxing. As I said, they need to be fed or constantly stirred. And, you know, they can't be left for long periods or you're going to have to use new kindling to restart them, which we discovered, or spend up to a half hour or more using the embers and the little pieces of bark and the wood chips to reignite them uh, in order to light up another log. And that leads me to another tip. Always have more kindling than you think you need when you get a snowy forecast, even if you don't expect to lose power. We had plenty of kindling, but by the second day, after letting the fires die a few times and not knowing how long we were going to be without power, we needed more. So hint, don't let the fires die and you won't need as much kindling. Thus, feed those fires like it's a newborn and keep it going. 
But letting the fires die is why we had to uh, perfect our uh, wood chip and carburetor approach <laughs> to reigniting the fires. We we're quite good at it, reviving the ashes of fires, but it's not a skill that I want to have to use very much. So another tip is to gather the wood chips and the bark pieces that fall, you know, and build up around your wood pile and use that as fuel or kindling to reignite, respark, or beef up your fires. Keep them dry on your porch or in a wood box or in a paper bag by the hearth so that they'll be ready and um, ready to ignite when they get to your fireplace. And that's the other thing. We use paper bags as kindling when we had to. So for all the wine that you buy during a time like this, <laughs> keep the wine bags for future warmth. <laughs> any fast food bag work too. Just remove any of those non-paper elements like staples and tape and you're good to go. But use all the paper that you have at your disposal when you're having to rebuild or start or keep your fires going. So during this time, you know, we've had a pandemic going on and we were trying to keep the germs down uh, in our environment. So we're using paper towels to dry our hands and stuff. So instead of throwing them in the trash, we put them in the fire or tossed them in a, a big paper bag that we kept so that we could make paper logs out of them for restarting or refueling the fire if we needed to. So, and hey, you know, by the way, especially when twisted, the paper towel, their burn lasted a good while longer than using newspaper does when you're starting a fire or trying to ignite your kindling. I was really surprised at how well they heard, held their burn. Now, I'm not gonna talk to what kind of uh, fumes come out of that, but you know, I'm trying to make sure the fumes are going straight up that chimney, so I'm not letting it in my house. But you put paper towels twisted inside of a bag that's twisted and put those under your logs, boom. You got some good kindling there to help get your logs burning. Speaking of burns, I also learned that a wedge of lemon really does ease the pain of a burn. But putting your hand back in near the heat again, when putting more wood on the fire, for example, really stirs up the pain of the burn that you got in the first place. So that was uh, a big lesson learned there. But I, I always have lemons here, so that worked out okay. And um, if you're uh, an older type like I am, I also recommend that you stay hydrated to minimize the muscle cramps from all the lifting and the carrying of wood and the dragging wood in from the piles and the sliding down the snowy hills to get from the wood pile back to the house. Whew. So stay hydrated. And use your resting time intentionally for rejuvenation. Don't waste your time thinking. Just let it go. Your mind has been busy all day in survival mode, so just give it a rest too. Rest, 
rejuvenate, recharge, forget the, you know, dwelling on anything. You don't have time for that. As you know, you're going to have to get up in a few minutes to fuel that fire anyway. <laughs> so don't don't waste your time. Oh, also, uh, another tip is don't try to take on too much during a survival mode like that. You're going to get exhausted. And constantly having to make adjustments, generate ideas for managing things, being creative, just taking care of things so you don't fall apart can be really trying. So take one task at a time, one hour at a time. Stay in your present moment. Do what you need to do to prepare for that next moment, but then just stay present. And whatever you can do to try to enjoy it, do that too. I'm sure that there are more lessons that we learned throughout this whole being off the grid thing. But um, we also made an adventure out of it wherever we could. So, you know, we could use our microwave with the generator on. So we put um, breakfast sauces with peppers and onions and a casserole dish and then stirred in the beaten eggs in there. And we made a lovely one dish breakfast casserole. So even though we couldn't use a stove, even though we couldn't use an oven, we were able to make a great little meal out of that. Um, on one of our gas trips into town, we also bought a few Hungry Man TV dinners. Talk about a blast from the past. For me and my husband, anyway, we grew up at a time where it was like special to get a, a TV dinner. So... Uh, let me tell you, I haven't had a microwave brownie in a long time, but that was quite an adventure. <laughs> oh, and one other thing that we did to, to make the most of it was, as I said, moving the card table in front of the wood stove in the living room. So it made it easier to do two things, to watch the fire and stay warm while doing tabletop things like eating or playing games. So that served a really great purpose. And, you know, we could use the one plug in the kitchen to power our chest freezer, which kept our food uh, good, thank goodness. Um, and one other thing. So it would either be, the, you know, the coffee maker or the toaster or something. So I had, during this time, my first toaster grilled cheese sandwich off the grid. So I had previously bought these toaster bags for my daughters that I never used. I thought they might use them in school or college or something like that. So you assemble your grilled cheese sandwich and then you slip it into this reusable sleeve and then you put that in the toaster and um, it allows you to create a grilled cheese sandwich right there in the toaster without, you know, having the cheese run everywhere and stuff like that. I'll put a link to the bag that I used in the show notes so that you can check them out if you want to. It's uh, convenient if you can't use a stovetop or you don't feel like ruining a pan, just stick it in a toaster instead. So anyway, it turned out pretty good. And uh, you, the thing is, if you want to make a big one, like you want to put ham and cheese in your uh, grilled ham and cheese, then just make sure your toaster slots are wide enough for the sandwich that you build. That's all. Otherwise, it's all good. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What an adventure. Now, I, I know that 
many folks who are up north, they're used to not seeing the ground until spring, you know, once the first snow comes in the winter. But not here. We're used to melting by the second or third day, and we're certainly not used to being without power during that entire time. So, um, you know, we got hit by storm, snowstorm number two, before all of the snow from the first one had left. Thankfully, this time, that snow was powder, and it was not heavy enough to bring down our power lines. So we still had power, but we just had sleet and ice, and that wasn't so fun. So the second storm created a new adventure that had me abandon my car and walk a mile or so in the wind and snow to my daughter's college apartment. As she had graciously, uh, she had the graciously, she didn't have to graciously host me, but she did. She graciously hosted me for the next 30 hours because I couldn't get my car up the hills. It was just going backwards. And so I pulled it over towards the side uh, so it could at least stay out of the road. But, you know, uh, when... Let me tell you something. For all of you who live in states that don't normally have tons of snow that you're used to dealing with, when the Department of Transportation tells you to keep supplies in your car just in case you get caught in inclement weather, listen to him. Thankfully, my husband had put a snow shovel in the car. So my daughter and I could dig the car out the next day, but you know, thankfully, but I was wearing sneakers with no boots in the car and I'm trudging through the ice and snow. So it really wasn't a great scenario. So listen to what people tell you, which is another reason for, you know, my sharing this story with you. It's to help you who might find yourself in survival mode sometime and need a few ideas to get through it. Try to roll with it. Um, and remember Bobby McFerrin, his song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? <laughs> when you worry, you make it double, right? So don't don't uh, fret over it. Just try to find a way through it and stay as warm as you can. Pull out all those blankets. My goodness, by the sixth night, we were just like, you know, the temperature in the house no longer registered on the thermostats because it was so cold. And... Um, so we had, you know, every, you know, blanket and quilt and so forth that we could find. We were sleeping in sweatshirts and uh, hats and gloves by that sick night. It was just like, okay, this has gone on a little too long now, and we're ready for it to stop. And thankfully, the power was then restored. But my intention is to just help you to... Think about some of the ways that you can get through an experience like this. I mean, if this is just the first week of the year, first two weeks of the year is my experience here. So um, I don't know what the rest of the winter will bring. So I thought I would share. And if, if no one else listens, I'll be able to go back and listen and remind myself what I needed to do to get through this because I'm going to listen to it again and remind myself so that I'll be ready. So anyway, 
I also wanted to share that, you know, just because a writer is off the grid, it does not mean that they are living the dream. (laughs) At least that's one person's experience. All right. It is time again for our abundant author affirmation. Write it down if it resonates with you. Post it wherever you'll see it and say it throughout your day to keep your heart happy and your subconscious mind aware of it. I am grateful for all I have and all that it allows me to do. I am grateful for all I have and all that it allows me to do. And with that, we are complete. I am excited uh, for all that we will be doing with the Write Something Worthy podcast for 2022. And if you need any inspiration and information in a particular area to help you with your authorship journey, please share that with us. Email us at podcast at writesomethingworthy.com. And as always... Please download, subscribe, and join our worthy tribe. Thanks for listening today. You've been listening to the Write Something Worthy podcast with Tonya Brockett. If you'd like to know more about today's topic, find show notes, relevant links, and more at writesomethingworthy.com. Have a question or something to add to the conversation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at writesomethingworthy.com. Please take a moment to leave an honest review on your favorite podcast platform. These reviews help us to improve our show and help us to spread the word. If you know anyone who would enjoy these episodes, please share it with them. Have a wonderful week and we hope you join us next Wednesday for another fabulous episode.